0: Told me this movie will write us Spread love, be wise, and let foolery fight itself. Cause it's a war going on outside On the corner, it's a war On your TV screen every morning Not the war with the bombs and the helicopters swarming But the war for your soul That's what everyone's ignoring It's a war going on Yeah, it's a war going on Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pursuit of Truth Podcast. My name is Will. I'm your host. Today's date is October 3rd, 2021. And this is actually going to be a bonus episode. I'm going to be, uh, it's today Sunday. It's going to be called Unsealing the Daniel Cipher Part 1. And I'm going to be playing a soundbite by Pastor Perry Stone here. Um, So, hope you're all doing well. Hope you're all challenging yourselves every day. Hope you're going to war with yourselves every day. So, I want to let you know that what I'm going to be doing today uh you'll probably see me do this i'll probably start doing these type of things on sunday where i'm not going to be talking very much i'm actually going to just play audio of just a pastor talking about some things that i think that are very very important and pastor perry stone is actually one of my favorite um pastors on youtube it's perry stone you just look that up on youtube and you'll be able to find his channel now the reason i'm doing this today is because well, Pastor Perry Stone doesn't shy away from the book of Revelation. And I feel like a lot of pe- a lot of churches and a lot of pastors in our day and age, they shy away from the book of Revelation and things like that. They always tell people, they always tell young believers and believers, in you know, general, they tell them, oh, read everything from Genesis to Jude and just don't worry about Revelation. Well, it, it shouldn't be like that. OK, we should we should we shouldn't shy away from Revelation. We should get in it. We should get all up in it. OK, as I would say, we get all up in that. You know we shouldn't shy away from it. We should run towards it. We should run into it and uh, do it with great fervor. Now, Pastor Perry Stone is going to go ahead and uh, he's going to give you. Uh, he's going to talk about the end times and things like that, like the beast. You'll hear him talk about things like that, and he'll tell you who he'll go through what well, all this stuff means. You know, and he's going to give you reference. Reference verses and things like that, because you always have to look at the New Testament in light of the Old Testament, because the Old Testament will always will always verify the veracity of the Old Testament. That's why you had in um, places where Jesus would quote the prophet Isaiah and things like that. You know, so what you're gonna see is that you're gonna see things in Revelation that are verified by Daniel. Uh, yeah, the book of Daniel, actually. You know, and then also like one of these weeks, I'll play another audio from Pastor Perry Stone, and he'll talk about how the book of Zechariah will verify things seen in Daniel and then also in uh, Revelation as well. So I'm not going to talk very much. But This is going to be about an hour audio here. Okay. We, uh, he's going to be talking for about an hour. Okay. Just about an hour. You know, so I have my little, like, I'm at three minutes now. And so Pastor Perry Stone is going to uh, play both parts one and two of this Daniel cipher that he looks at. And, and, and again, if you want to know what his YouTube channel is, just type in Pastor Perry Stone, and he has a plethora, a myriad of YouTube videos and different topics that he talks about and things like that. So you can look at it. Uh, he's actually a very, very smart guy. He's one of, my, he's probably of my favorite preacher on YouTube that I've heard. And, uh, so yeah, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and play this audio for him. I hope that you enjoy this. clip. I hope that you enjoy this clip. I hope that you're blessed by this clip. God bless you. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful to be alive. I'm thinking that God sent his wonderful son. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you on Tuesday.
1: Welcome to this week's Manifest Telecast. I'm going to be showing an excerpt from the Daniel Cipher. Many of you outside of the United States are not able to obtain the actual offer, so therefore I want you to get two weeks of this special teaching. Let's go right now into our studio where we're teaching on the Daniel Cipher this week on the Manifest Telecast. Welcome to Manifest. Hosted by international evangelist teacher and author Perry Stone. Enjoy unique insight into prophetic and practical truth. It's time to feast on fresh manna, so get ready to be blessed and encouraged. And now, here is your host and teacher, Perry Stone. I'm very happy to present to you today a teaching that I've called Unsealing the Daniel Cipher. The book of Daniel has 12 chapters in the English translation of the Bible. Now, it would be impossible to go verse by verse into these 12 chapters because the series would be 20 to 30 hours long. So what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the predictions and the prophecies, the dreams and visions that deal with the time of the end, the empires of Bible prophecy. And we're going to hit some great highlight verses and passages and stories from this great, great apocalyptic book. Scripture I would like to read in Daniel chapter 12 reads as thus. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. The Amplified reads it this way. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Then many shall run to and fro and search anxiously through the book, and knowledge of God's purposes as revealed by his prophets shall be increased and become great. I believe with all of my heart that we are at the very first time in the history since the book of Daniel was written, that these prophecies can now be understood. And I believe that we are the generation to understand them. And as we together go through this teaching today and search the scripture, I think you're going to understand when this teaching is over, we are a generation that has the knowledge of the book of Daniel, and we can unseal and unlock many of the cryptic references and symbolism that Daniel saw over 2,600 years ago. Now, the book of Daniel is what's called an apocalyptic book. And uh, there are actually two major apocalyptic books in the Bible. One is the book of Daniel, the other is the book of Revelation, and they are written several hundred years apart. In fact, probably around 700 years apart, the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. What do we mean by apocalyptic book? Apocalyptic books are books that use very strange symbolism, like the animals that you're seeing behind me here. And these symbols represent something literal. These particular animal emblems in the book of Daniel represent the empires of Bible prophecy. However, the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation work together. I believe the book of Revelation is a continuation of the book of Daniel, giving much more detail than what Daniel himself actually saw. Let's talk about the men who wrote the books, the two main apocalyptic books. Daniel was uh, wrote his book from Babylon. He was taken captive as a young man by Nebuchadnezzar, and he wrote the book of Daniel while in Babylonian captivity. Oddly enough. John wrote the book of Revelation while he was in a prisoner on the Isle of Patmos in exile by the Roman government So both of these men were in exile when they received visions dreams and revelations of the Lord Concerning things about the time of the end and the messianic kingdom which would come in the future Now if we look at this very carefully Daniel and John had several things in common and I want to give you those things that they had in common. Number one, both were from a very special lineage. Daniel was from the royal seed and John was from the priestly family according to a, a church history. Both of them were considered prophets. Daniel is called a prophet in Matthew's gospel and we also know John the Revelator was both an apostle and a prophet. Number three, both saw visions concerning the time of the end and they saw the return of the Messiah. Daniel saw it in the form of a stone cut out without hands crashing down on the kingdoms of this world. And of course, John saw the return of Christ in Revelation chapter 19. We also know that both of them survived the, the, the destruction of the temple, temple in Jerusalem. Daniel survived the destruction of the temple by Nebuchadnezzar and John survived the destruction of the temple by the Romans. Again, this shows the parallel of both men's lives. Both men, oddly enough, lived to be in their night. 90s. Some suggest that John the Apostle probably died at age 100, but Daniel definitely lived into his late 90s in Babylon. Number another interesting issue is they both lived through numerous leaders. If you go back to the book of Daniel, he actually lived in, in Babylon during four major. Kings. Two of them were Babylonian kings and two of them were Media Persian kings. And in the book of Revelation, we know that John lived through various emperors during the Roman Empire, all the way from Caesar Augustus, which was around the birth of Christ, to Emperor Nero, who beheaded Christians, all the way to Emperor Domitian. So just like there were four kings that Daniel lived through, there were at least four major Roman emperors, possibly five, that John the Apostle lived during their reign as well. Both saw visions that are parallel to each other. And what's interesting is Daniel is told in the book of Daniel to seal his book to the time of the end when knowledge would be increased. 700 and some years later, John in the book of Revelation is told, do not seal your book, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 10. I believe the reason John is told not to seal the book and Daniel is, is because the book of Daniel is incomplete without the book of Revelation. In other words, there are things in the book of Revelation that helps further explain the visions of Daniel and the vision of Daniel complements the book of Revelation. So by the time that John got his full revelation of the apocalypse and the last days, It mixes and matches so perfectly with the book of Daniel that these two books are inseparable. Now, in our study, what we're going to do is we're going to work with these two books together, not just the book of Daniel, but the book of Revelation to get a complete picture of the time of the M and the last days. For example, let me tell you the things Daniel did not see that John did see in the book of Revelation. Daniel never saw a false prophet rising, Revelation 13, 11. Daniel never saw a mark of the beast that was put on men's hand or in their forehead, Revelation chapter 13, 18. Daniel never saw the beheading of people. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, John describes people beheaded during the tribulation. J- Daniel, for example, never saw this uh, image of the beast that speaks and lives, which John did see in Revelation chapter 13, 14 through 15. And Daniel never did see the new Jerusalem. He saw the kingdom of God ruling on earth, but he never saw the new Jerusalem, which is something that John perfectly describes in Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22. Now, one of the biggest differences, and I want to make this clear, is that Daniel wrote for the nation of Israel. Daniel's prophecy basically concerns the nation of Israel. However, John's prophecy involves Israel and also involves the church because when John addresses uh, the churches, or or Christ actually addressed the church through John, he addresses them in two chapters, Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. From that point on, he deals with the nation of Israel and the Gentile nations of the world. So both John and uh, who wrote the book, Revelation and Daniel in the book of Daniel deal with these Gentile nations and Gentile empires that were going to affect Israel, the Jews, and the city of Jerusalem. This is a very important point that I need to make right now. Now, to to share with you a little bit of the parallel between both of these books and how they complement one another, let me show you what Daniel and John both see in their apocalyptic visions and what they write about and how it comes together in a full picture here we go both of them saw a uh, uh, the world's final kingdom daniel 7 9 through 16 revelation 17 11 through 14. both saw a time frame that was seven years now when i say this daniel 9 27 speaks about one week, one prophetic week, which in Hebrew is seven years. And in the book of Revelation, the tribulation is divided up into 42 months and 42 months. And that's where we get the seven years that comes in to play in the book of Revelation. Both of them saw the final rule for 42 months, Daniel chapter uh, 12 and seven, Revelation 12 and four. Now it's called in the book of Daniel, time, which is one year, times, which is two year, and dividing of time, which would be six months. And that phrase time, times and dividing of time is also found in the book of Revelation. Both saw the rise of a final dictator, Daniel 8, 23 through 25, Revelation 13, 1 through 2. And we now know this final dictator, according to John in the first, second, and third John, is the Antichrist. We also know that they both saw a final kingdom described as a beast. In fact, in Daniel 7, 7, uh, we, ca- we have what is called a non-descriptive beast that Daniel sees at the end of days. And we also know from Revelation 13, 1 through 2 that John, using the imagery of Daniel, sees this Beast rising up out of the sea. We'll talk about that later on in the teaching. Both of them saw ten kings accompanying this beast, this Antichrist. Daniel chapter 7, 24, Revelation 17, 12. Both saw a time of great tribulation on the earth. Daniel 12, verse 1, Revelation seven fourteen. Both saw great trouble for Israel and the Jews. Revelation 12, 1 and Revelation 12, 17. Both saw Michael, the archangel, intervene that's in Daniel chapter 12, 1, Revelation 12, 7. Both saw the throne room of God in heaven, Daniel 7, 9, Revelation 4, 2. Both men saw ten thousands, and that's multiplied many times, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands before the throne, Daniel seven ten, Revelation 5, 11. Both of them saw books open in heaven at a heavenly judgment, Daniel chapter 7, 20, Revelation 20, 12. Both of them saw the return of the Messiah, Daniel 7, 13, Revelation nineteen eleven. Both saw the Messiah coming in the clouds, Daniel 7, 13, Revelation 1, 7. Uh, both saw the beast burning in flames, Revelation 7, 11, Revelation nineteen twenty. Both saw the saints of God take over the kingdom on earth, Daniel chapter 7, 25, Revelation 20, verse 4, and both saw an everlasting kingdom that would uh, not end, that's in Daniel seven twenty seven and also Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. So Daniel saw empires that were going to affect Jerusalem that were going to affect Israel, that were going to affect the Jewish people. And John, on the other hand, sees how the, this empire attacks Israel in Revelation chapter 13, also chapter, chapter 12 in the book of Revelation. And so what I'm trying to say is that these two men totally complement one another. Many of them saw the same things, but as we showed you earlier, there are things that John saw in Revelation that Daniel did not see in his vision in his particular book. Now, in this study, we're going to look at uh, different parts of the book of Daniel. There's actually five different chapters in the book of Daniel that are significant when you want to understand the time of the end or how prophecy comes to a climax at the end of days and what will happen at that time frame. So here's the five chapters. First of all is Daniel chapter 2, the dream of Nebuchadnezzar and the metallic image. Then in Daniel chapter 4, there is a dream of a tree stump that has brass and iron wrapped around it. That is a prophetic dream. Then there's Daniel chapter 7 which is the vision of four great beasts that rise up out of the great sea, the great sea being the Mediterranean Sea. And then there's Daniel chapter 8, the vision of the ram and the he-goat. And then there's Daniel chapter 9, which is the interpretation of what is called the 70 weeks of Bible prophecy. So chapter 2, 4, 7, 8 and 9 are the five chapters that specifically contain within those chapters and concealed within those chapters are what I call symbolic ciphers and words that must be unlocked at the time of the end for people to understand what the prophet Daniel was speaking about. Now we have on the set a lot of imagery. We have, these are all made out of styrofoam by an artist and we have the imagery of the beast that Daniel saw in his vision in the book of Daniel and we also have one in particular that we're going to talk about later from the book of Revelation that combines the beasts together to give us a clue about the antichrist and about his kingdom and where he will actually arise from it's a very interesting study let's continue here's what we discover if we begin to look carefully at Daniel chapter 2 4 7 8 and 9 here are the things we discover in these chapters. Number one, we discover the order of prophetic empires, empires of Bible prophecy all the way from Babylon, where Daniel was writing, all the way to the Roman Empire and the reformation of a global Rome, Roman Empire at the end of days. Number two, we discover when we read the book of Daniel in these chapters, there's a final kingdom that arises with a very dreadful, sinister leader that is called the Antichrist in the New Testament. Number three, we discover in in the book of Daniel that this one man, the Antichrist, forms a kingdom of his own, and with him are accompanying 10 kings from 10 different nations and 10 different territories who will align themselves with him for a period of 42 months, the last 42 months of the tribulation period to literally wreak havoc on the entire world. And the fourth thing we discover by reading the book of Daniel is that the Messiah returns in the days of those 10 kings. Now this is important and I want to reemphasize this again. According to the writings of Daniel, the Messiah, we know now as Jesus Christ, is going to return at the end of days when these 10 kings are in power. Now, we're going to have to understand, as we will later on in the study what could be the ten kings who could be the ten kings what nations do they come from because if we see this forming at any particular time we will know that we are truly in the time of the end and the end of days i know people that are trying to put us in the first part of the tribulation and we're in we're in seal number five and six can't be possible because only when the ten kings form Then the Antichrist has to come when the 10 Kings form, and at the time of this taping, that has not yet happened, okay? So we have to put the whole counsel of God or all the scripture together, and we can't just pick one thing out of here and one thing out of there because we think it looks good or it fits a situation, all right? The apocalyptic books all use symbolism. Now here's a question I want to ask you. Why in the world would God, uh, or would, would, the, would these prophets of the Bible, why would they use symbolism? I mean, why do they say, okay, over here we have a goat with, a, with four horns and a big horn coming out of its head. And over here we have a ram that's got two horns, and one horn is bigger than the other. And over here we've got a, a beast that has a body like a leopard, feet feet like a, uh, like a lion, and... and um, or feet like a bear and mouths like a head like a lion and say why do the symbolism why can't we just say okay here's the empire here's what it's going to be all right let's talk about why apocalyptic books like the book of daniel and the book of revelation use symbolism here we go number one God used symbolism that the people of that day were familiar with. It's very important to understand that we use symbolism even today. We use an eagle. When you see the seal of an eagle, you think of the United States of America. When you see a bear, you think of Russia. When you think of a lion, you think of Britain and England. At least if you know your history, you do. People that don't know history probably don't see anything but an animal. But I'm saying we still use symbolism today. You know, when when I think of China, what do you think of if I say China? What is China's symbol? Most people who know history know a red dragon. Dragon is a symbol of china because they use a calendar they use the calendar of the dragon or the year of the dragons what we're in right now so they're very much into symbolism all right so the point i make is god used symbolism in daniel and revelation that the people were familiar with in that day number two he used symbolism because the nature of the animals represent the nature of the king or the kingdom that that particular uh, prophetic symbol represented. So in other words, if you have something like a leopard, it represents Alexander the Great's kingdom. In Greece, a leopard is extremely fast, and Alexander conquered the known world from the time he was in his 20s. By the time he was 33 years of age, or 32, right around 32, he conquered the known world of his day. He was as fast as a leopard. So God used animals to describe the characteristic of either the king or the kingdom they would represent in the book of Daniel. Here's the third reason symbol Symbolism is used because God wants you to search out the truth. He wants you to search out the mystery of it because it's the it's the order of a king to search out secrets. And so the reason God uses symbolism is because if you know the scripture, the symbol will interpret itself. Here's an example. If I say serpent, what does it represent? anyone that knows the Bible knows that a serpent represents Satan if I say dove what does it represent everybody knows according to Matthew 3 the Holy Spirit came on cross like a form of a dove so a dove represents the Holy Spirit so in other words symbolism is known by the Bible itself the Bible itself will interpret a symbol now the interesting thing about the symbolism in the Bible is most of the time not always because give an example a lamb represents Christ all the way back to Exodus chapter 12 but in the book of Revelation where the word lamb I'm trying to go from memory is mentioned something like 27 times there's one time it does not represent actually represent Christ it represents the false prophet in Revelation chapter 13 11. so normally a symbol will maintain its symbolism from the very beginning of the Bible all the way through the Bible. And that's what's interesting about biblical symbolism. You don't have to go outside of the Bible to interpret what these symbols, what these animals, what these beasts and the apocalyptic books actually represent. And number four, this is important. The symbolism can actually hide the meaning and conceal the meaning to protect both the writer of the book and to protect the symbolism itself. Now, let me give an example. I was in Rome, Italy several years ago, staying at a hotel, and we're getting ready to take a tour of the vast And I remember being there and the thought came to me, John, why did you conceal the idea or why did you conceal that Rome is Mystery Babylon? Anybody that reads Revelation chapter 17 and 18 and reads the entire text, it's the city ruling over the kings of the earth. It's the great city. They know it's Rome, but why did John call it Mystery Babylon? Because among the Jews, they would veil the name of Rome by using the name Babylon. Here's the reason why. The Babylonians and the Romans both destroyed Jerusalem. They both destroyed the temple. They both took the treasures, and they both took the Jewish people captive. And both temples in Babylon and Rome were destroyed on the 9th of Av on the Jewish calendar. So the the, uh, temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D., and John wrote the book of Revelation about 25 years later. So when talking about Rome, he could never have used the word Rome. He could never predicted Rome would be destroyed. Here's the reason why, and this is what the Lord showed me in Rome, Italy, that the book would have never been the scroll that John wrote of the Book of Revelation would have never been allowed to, pre- to been taken off the Isle of Patmos after the Emperor Domitian died and John was released. It would have never been taken because it would have been considered a political scroll that was antagonistic toward Rome, and Rome would have burned it and destroyed it. So here's the point. God had to veil the truth of what was going to happen in the future in symbolism so that it could be searched out by prophets and by wise men and by the people of God, we would say today, scholars and teachers of the Word of God, to understand exactly what it meant. So you have to understand that there is a reason that God used symbolism because the ancient empires in Daniel's day were very, very much aware of symbols. Everything was in a symbol. Everything was in in a kind of, we would call today, mythology kind of things so God used those symbols not to promote any form of false religion or mythology but he used it because the people of that day would be familiar with those symbols now in the setting of Daniel Babylon is the first major empire of Bible prophecy if we count from Daniel's counting all right And it was the first one to destroy Jerusalem and destroy the temple and to take the Jews captive. The destruction of the temple had been predicted by Isaiah long before it ever happened. King Hezekiah was sick and he showed the Babylonians all the treasures of the temple. You know, he was sick and God healed him. The Babylonians came to visit him. And instead of him saying, thank you for coming, God bless you, he showed him all the secret things of the temple. And when he did, Isaiah 39, 6 through 7 predicted that the temple was going to be destroyed. This is what Isaiah said. Behold, the days come that all that's in your house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day will be carried to Babylon nothing will be left says the Lord and of thy sons that issue from you which that you shall be got they shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon now the question has arisen why did God send judgment to Israel by using the Babylonians here's what the scripture says Israel was not keeping its Sabbaths in Leviticus 25 every seventh year and every 49 Years, there was to be a uh, the land was supposed to rest for an entire year on the seventh year and the 50th year, and this was called the Jubilee Cycles in Leviticus chapter 25.
0: All right, folks, thanks again for listening. Um, I'm actually going to play part two for you now, and uh, once again, once again, if you want to listen to his YouTube channel, because we like to at Pursuit of Truth podcast, we like to give. Credit where credit is due. I'm not going to sit here and uh, act as if somebody else's work is my own. So if you, if you want to listen to this pastor more and more, uh, his YouTube channel, and watch him, uh, his name is Perry Stone, Pastor Perry Stone. Go ahead and type that in on YouTube if you would like to listen to him and watch more of his YouTube channel. Very smart guy. I, I recommend it a lot. So here we go with part
1: two. Which one of these empires will the Antichrist come from? All right, let's look at it. Well, will he come from Egypt? According to Daniel chapter eleven forty two 42 through 43, the Antichrist will take over Egypt, Libya and Ethiopia. So he takes it over. He conquers it. He takes over Egypt and it says the Libyans and the Ethiopians are at his footsteps. They follow him. So that's not his headquarters if he invades it in the middle of the tribulation takes it over okay so we can eliminate that as being the place where he rules from the first 42 months number two what about turkey now in daniel 11 verse 44 it says the king of the north will push at the antichrist and the king of the south will come against him Now, the king of the north there is not Russia. The king of the north there is the area of Turkey, and Turkey already is almost at war with Syria. There's a lot of animosity in that part of the world with the Turks and the Kurds and the Syrians, the Iraqis and all of that type of thing. So if if Turkey pushes at him in a war, he doesn't come out of Turkey. They're pushing at him because he's coming out of somewhere else. What about Greece? Now, this is interesting. Greece is now part of the EU, but Greece economically Is not a superpower Greece has had economic problems they've had rioting they've had austerity measures they can't make their payments but there this leaves one area it goes back to the stump see how important that chapter was about the stump the more you get into this it's very important to understand this so it goes back to the stump so what's the stump the stump is the area of Lebanon Syria and Iraq or what we would call the old Babylonian territory. Now in the book of Daniel, it says that the, that the antichrist is great to the east, great to the south and great toward the pleasant land. The pleasant land is Israel. The south is the northern part of Africa. We talked about that Egypt, Libya, and Ethiopia, Daniel 11, that he'll take over. But it also says he's great to the east. Now, anytime you read a, a measurement in the Bible where it talks about north, south, east, and west, you don't think of it where America is. It's talking about north, south, east, and west where Israel is located. And so if you look at this prophecy, it very much tells you that the Antichrist will be great to the east. This would include Jordan, Iraq, Iran Afghanistan Pakistan all which are definitely Islamic countries Daniel chapter 8 verse 9 great to the south the east and to the pleasant land." so please keep in mind that in history, in the prophetic history of empires, Babylon, Media, persia and Greece, their kings and leaders all ruled from Babylon. Keep in mind that the tree stump is Babylon. Remember, it was the Babylonian kingdom in Nebuchadnezzar's day. It's cut down, meaning it doesn't exist now. It's just a stump, but the stump is still in the earth. And the reason that you have Rome and you have Greece, because Rome, the Antichrist is going to take over all that territory of the ancient Roman Empire. And the second thing is when it comes to Greece, we've already talked about Greece, that how that that the division of Greece, the four divisions reveal the area where the Antichrist is going to come from. So in other words, if you just go to Daniel, pay attention to Daniel, you're going to discover that the Antichrist will come out of the territory that we're talking about here. My, 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 I tell you what. I'm getting a download right now, and I don't know if I should go there or just save it for later. I think I'll save it for later because I'll get so far ahead of myself. So Babylon is going to be very, very significant. Now, the fourth empire Bible prophecy. Let's look at this. The fourth kingdom shall be as iron for as much as iron breaks in pieces and subdues all things. And as iron that breaks all things, shall it break in pieces and bruise. Daniel 7 and 7. After this, I saw in the night vision, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible. Strong, exceeding, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and break in pieces, and stomped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all of the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. And this is what scholars call the nondescriptive beast. He doesn't tell you what it looks like. I will add to you: John in Revelation tells you what this beast looks like, but Daniel did not tell you what it looked like. I personally think what he saw in this fourth beast was a little bit confusing, and he's just kind of giving you the basis of how uh, the iron teeth stamping with with its feet and having ten horns, Daniel chapter seven nineteen and also verse twenty three. Let's read it. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast which was diverse from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, whose teeth were of iron, his nails of brass, and devoured, breaking pieces and stamped the residue with its feet. Thus saith he, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms. It shall devour the whole earth, tread it down, and break into pieces. Now. We do know that part of this fourth beast was the Roman Empire. This is a prophecy concerning the Roman Empire. In 200 to 196 B.C., were some of Rome's first military victories. And in 148 BC, Macedonia, which we now know as the area of Greece, the province of Greece, became a Roman province in 148 BC. The city of Corinth, Greece, was destroyed by the Romans in 146 BC. And later, the great city of Athens was destroyed by the Romans in 86 BC. And that's when Rome eventually took over all of the territory of Greece. Not just Macedonia, which was a part of it, but Macedonia and all of the territory that was known as Greece. Now, the iron of the Roman Empire, they began to expand, Rome did, to Britain, Spain, France, Greece, the Middle East. They took over the area of Judea, which we now know today is Parts of Israel and also all of North, the coast of northern Africa. That would be up in Morocco, the coast of Libya, and the coast of Egypt. All the coastal areas, because they had ships and they had to have ports for their ships to bring in their goods to import and to export. Here's what Rome was known for. They were known for infrastructure, for transportation, for building bridges, for building roads, and also for having numerous large ships. Rome was also known for their legions, for their large armies that kept the peace throughout the known Roman. Empire. They also were known as the largest of all the other prophetic empires, as they combined and added land, including parts of the Western uh, branch, which we talked about earlier, which would be Britain and Spain, etc. Also, Rome occupied the area of Judea, which we now know was parts of Israel, and they occupied the land, and they were occupying the land near and at the time of Christ. It was the Romans who in 70 A.D. would destroy the temple, destroy Jerusalem, burn it to the ground, and scatter the Jews. In 71 A.D., they salted the entire area and renamed the area. uh, It was no longer Israel. It would be called Palestine from that point on until modern times, and uh, 71 A.D., they salted the area so nothing would ever grow there uh, now here's what began to happen with Rome with the time of the Roman Empire and the time of early Christianity there was an emperor by the name of Nero from the, the beginning of Nero there were ten major persecutions during the time of the Roman Empire that were set against Christians for about three centuries until the time of Emperor Constantine when he came to power in the fourth century and he legalized Christianity and the persecution of course began to fade at that particular time Now, what I'd like to show you now, that's a little bit about the fourth empire. We read the Bible. We know a little bit about how the Romans were. We know a little bit about the history by studying it. We can go to the book of Daniel and understand he saw this empire coming and saw how vicious and powerful that it would actually be and how... In, in, in its day, in its day, it's, it affected the entire known world. I do want to show you, however, all four empires of Bible prophecy that we talked about: Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, and Rome—the four from the Book of Daniel. Remember, with John there's seven because he starts with Egypt, but with Daniel there's four because he starts with Babylon. Okay, that's why you have John talking about the seven heads, and you got um, uh, Daniel over here talking about these these different beasts, and there's four total. So watch this. Here's the amazing parallels of all four empires in Daniel's prophecy and what they had in common. Number one, they all four four ruled around the Mediterranean Sea area. Number two, three of the four were headquartered in Babylon. Number three, all four invaded or controlled Egypt. Number four, all four empires were involved directly with the Jews in Israel. Number five, all four were involved with the temple in Jerusalem in some manner. Number six, all four were Gentile nations who ruled the known world. Notice that they were all Gentile nations. And finally, they all rule in... Um, in the very succession of what Daniel saw uh, in, or what the king saw in Daniel 2 in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And also they ruled in succession with the animals, the empires that uh, Daniel saw in the form of symbolism and animals. Very, very interesting. The, the, the Roman Empire, however, eventually became uh, divided. Now I want to show you something. Let's go with the big feet here because I want to show you this. And we can also show you this from the image, but we'll use, I like these feet instead. Uh, when you begin to read in the book of Daniel, what you will discover is Rome is represented by the iron. We know that already. But I want you to be aware of the fact that the Roman Empire had a split. And I'm going to give you the basis of the split. Lactantius was an early church father that began to predict that the Roman Empire was going to be destroyed. And he made this prediction known to Emperor Constantine. Constantine came to power through a series of kind of supernatural events. He became a Christian, uh, at least that's what history tells us, and he legalized Christianity. Bibles began to reappear. He began to let people have Bibles and copy Bibles and things of that nature. But watch this. What happens is Constantine believes Lactantius' prophecy, and he wants to build another Rome and name it after him. So he goes all the way over to Turkey, and we call it Turkey today. It was Asia Minor back in that day. But he goes over to what is called Turkey today, or Asia minor and he builds a city called Constantinople now Rome was built on seven hills and Constantinople is built on seven hills and this city that he built became known as Constantinople named uh, not necessarily named after him but named after one of his relatives that followed him so you have two Roman and they are the old Rome and the new Rome, but there are two Romes nonetheless in the minds of people back then. One is in the West and one is in the East. And that's where the two legs come in because one of these legs that goes all the way to the end of days represents what we would call Rome, Italy, and the other represents Constantinople, which, would, which later would be called Byzantinum with the headquarters of the Byzantine Empire. And then it would later be uh, from Byzantine, it would be called Istanbul, Turkey uh, in the 15th century when the Muslims would conquer that area and take it over. Now let's look at this because this division of these two legs is very, very important when we talk about Bible prophecy. In the image of the dream, the two feet represent the east and the west. The 10 toes on this image, the 10 toes, and and, and as you know in Daniel 2, we've talked about this, but there's 10 toes on the metallic image and you see them here represented by these big, big feet, 10 toes. So when you see the 10 toes, let let me talk to you about this because this is interesting. They represent 10 kings at the end of day. So when you read about the beast having 10 horns and you read about in Daniel 2, the image having 10 toes, and you read in the book of Revelation, 10 horns with crowns. It's all the same thing. I want to make that clear. It's all the same thing. It is 10 regions of the earth, 10 nations at the end of days with leaders over those nations who will give their kingdom over to the Antichrist. Now we're going to show you where these scriptures are found to help tie this together for you about these 10. First of all, the beast vision in Daniel 7, 7. The 10 horns are 10 kings who shall arise from the, from, the, from this kingdom, and another shall arise after them, and he shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue three kings. Then in Revelation chapter 13, 1 through 2, then I stood on the sand of the sea, I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and 10 horns, and on his horns 10 crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Revelation chapter 17, 12 through 13, the 10 horns which you saw are 10 kings that have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority with one hour as kings with the beast. So in other words, you've got ten horns, ten toes, ten horns that are crowned, all the same thing. Last day, ten kings ruling with the Antichrist. Now, let's talk about a little bit about the progression because I want to give you a little bit of history about these two legs over here that we've been talking about. I want to give you some history about the division and the split and so on. So follow me very carefully because I don't want to just tell you here's what it means. Let's talk about some history. The two legs of iron. The legs are long and they stretch from the hips all the way to the ankles. In 395 AD, the Roman Empire took a final split into two divisions. Now, we gave you another date earlier. That's when it starts, but the final split was in 90. 395 AD it divided between the West and the East in 410 AD the Western Imperial Empire fell that means the Empire of Rome fell from Rome Italy and the Roman Church and the Pope eventually took control of that area in what we would later call the Vatican the Vatican Hill where the popes and the Cardinals are, are live the Eastern Empire continued with what was called Constantinople or later Byzantinium. Byzantinium, and and the Byzantines formed an empire in the fifth century that ruled for almost a thousand years fifth until the year 1453 I have to be careful I'm dyslexic with numbers and final y'all know me if I don't slow my numbers down I get them all switched okay so I'm gonna slow this down the the Western power of Rome that's one leg one leg the Western powers of Rome ruled from 800 to 1800 and we can take you and talk about Napoleon in France. Now he broke the power of the Pope and all that. That's why they say to 1800. So from the Charlemagne trying to form the Holy Roman Empire, 800, to, uh, all Germans connect, Germany's connection, all that. 800 to 1800 is a thousand years. The Western power of Rome continued for a thousand years. The Eastern power of Rome continued from 400 to 1400 through the Byzantines, the Byzantine Empire, and the, the, what we call the Eastern branch of Christianity for about a thousand years as well. So this is interesting. Both of those big legs we got over here, both of those big legs of iron, each one of them continued for about a thousand years each, which brings us now into the feet, which takes us to the late 1800s and the early 1900s. So this is interesting because the Bible talks about how there's going to be a a, a two feet, two feet. Then there's going to be ten toes. The ten toes will come out of the two feet. All right. The two feet. Henry Kissinger made this statement recorded in The Economist, November 19, 2008. Now that the clay feet of the economic system have been exposed, the gap between the global system for economics and the global political system based in the state must need be addressed as a dominant task. The clay feet economic, clay feet he talks about. Hippolytus, who was an early father, said as these things then are destined to come to pass as the toes of the image turned out to be democracies and the ten horns of the beast are distributed among ten kings. Now he calls the clay on the on the feet that are found in the image of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel 2. He calls them democracies. Now, what is really interesting, Daniel chapter 2, 42 through 43. This is the New King James translation. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere one to another, just as iron and clay does does not mix. It's very clear that when you come to the time of the iron and clay mixture it doesn't mix it can't mix now I'm going to show you what I believe I do believe that in the late 1800s the Communist Manifesto came but the Russian Revolution didn't come into Russia till 1917 and that's when communism began to spread throughout the entire earth now don't forget the toes right now and just think about two feet two feet all right these feet are part clay and they are part iron If you think about it, there's nothing more clearer than this being communism and democracy, because communism and democracy could not merge. Remember, Germany was divided. Part of it was iron, part of it was communist, and part of it was democracy, and part of it was clay. The West became the clay, and the East became communist. Now, what happened was, after 70 years in Russia, it began to break. It broke in Poland, it broke in Eastern Europe, it broke in Russia. And so they tried to bring democracy in where there was communism. Now, here's what's weird. Democracy has worked in some areas, but the communists are still there, and they're still hardliners. Anybody that has traveled to Russia in some of these places will tell you what they have to deal with there and what the Christians are still dealing with. I'm talking about true true Christians, not the the underground church, not the open church you know, Orthodox Church, which is controlled by Russia and Russia controls them, etc. But the point is, the communism and the democracy looks like it works, but it still doesn't mesh together. Look, China is totally still a communist nation, but they love all the the, the money. Remember Henry Kissinger said the clay of democracy is the economy. They love all the money coming over there from the democratic nations, but they don't want to change politically, okay? So they're trying to mix it, but the Bible says it does not mix. Now let me show you the second part of this. Communism ruled for 70 years, just like the Babylonians controlled the Jews and Israel in Babylonian captivity for seven years, and then, then it began to break. You come down to another iron, and I, I, I actually date this. Probably communism began to collapse about 1986, 87, 88 in Russia, and the Jews began to leave, and there's t- hundreds of thousands of Jews that have left Russia, come back to Israel. So I, I, I date this to about 1979, and there's a reason that I date this to 1979, and I won't go into the detail. with It has to do with the Persian, the Iranian Revolution. has to do with uh, a lot of things that started happening that year. But the next, the, the, the next iron and clay, is democracy. Versus Islamic ideology Islam not Islam itself because we're not there's no democracy battling Islam Democracy is not trying to mix with Islam Islam is a religion It's trying to mix with the ideas the political ideas behind Islam Okay, and so the next battle that we're in right now. I'm, I'm sorry not battle But the next mix has moved from communism to democracy to Islam and democracy and guess what's happening? Just like communism and democracy don't mix. mix this is not mixing for example, Example: you've had there was a, 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 a what was called a democratic uprising in Egypt there was one in Libya one in Syria one in the West Bank of Israel however Islamic nations are working to form some type of democratic government yes they say but yet they're still in in the um, keeping the strongholds on the people of their Islamic beliefs. Now, I don't mean, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about from the political perspective. You know, hate the Jews, hate Israel, boycott Israel, that type of thing. That's still there despite democracy saying everybody's equal. All right, let's look at this. In the Gaza Strip, they're using Europe and America to force Israel to give up the land. In Iraq, while they're talking about a new constitution to elect officials, they're still uh, not the freedom of religion there that should be. In Egypt, there are youth seeking democracy with freedoms, but there's hardliners, the Islamic Brotherhood and other organizations fighting this type of thing. In Afghanistan, there was another generation that was trying to make democratic changes, but now the Taliban has come back in with the old way. There's total confusion there. Parts of Arabia, they let the West use their military bases at different times. They like the Western money. There we go again. But as far as trying to allow the religious freedom, people get arrested, you can't take a cross in, can't carry a Bible into Arabia etc Turkey is called a secular Islamic nation and they have a form of democracy but there again they have the radicals that are rising up Syria there's certain people in Syria who would love to have freedom same is true with Iran and the Persians uh, without going into a lot of detail but watch what Daniel says now notice this let's talk about Islam and let's talk about the the clay of democracy and the iron of Islam Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. I saw and you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay. They will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere one to another, just as iron does not mix with clay. That tells you, ladies and gentlemen, where we are now. There's Islamic traditions versus democratic thinking. For example, in democracy women have freedom, but in Islam they don't always have that kind of freedom. The kingdom is strong and the kingdom is partly broken. So we see this going on right now. The two feet were east and west, Rome and Turkey. Turkey had an empire from 1517 for 400 years, ruling in three continents and 27 provinces. But yet at the end of days, here's the point, it's going to come into 10 toes who are still plate and iron.